Hello everyone, I hope you are well. I'm Carlos Carnicero Uravalle and I want to welcome you all to Future is Blue, a series of podcasts bringing together top experts from academia and think tanks to discuss the most pressing European economic and policy challenges of today. This is a Funkas Europe initiative and we hope we can bring new ideas for a more inspiring debate about Europe. Today we will be talking about Europe's key economic challenges for the next political course. And uh, we have Raymond Torres, Funkas Europe Director, joining us today. Hello, Raymond. Hello, Carlos. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. Uh, I think, Raymond, we need to inevitably start this conversation talking about the European Central Bank. And we just heard the ECB has raised interest rates to an all-time high in a bid to cool consumer prices. And the ECB, ECB's decision to lift its deposit rate for the 10th consecutive time, that means 25 basis, basis points to 4%, came as officials cut their growth forecast for the Eurozone economy. So, I need, I, Raymond, I need to ask you, uh, are we, is Europe heading towards a recession in view of what, just the, what the ECB just announced? Yes, certainly. The, the, I think the ECB has taken a risk here because already uh, we had really indicators uh, that uh, move towards uh, you know contractionary territory in particular in some countries like germany the netherlands and so on those were you know we more exposed to the uh, the slowdown in china the ga the gas crisis and so on so already we had this situation but in addition the the further increase in interest rates exposes europe to to a recession. It is true that uh, inflation has been relatively sticky. We are above 5% still today, and the projections, uh, the, the today's projections from the ECB suggest that uh, we may be above 3% still next year, so well above the target of 2%. But still, I think the, the ECB is, is taking a risk in terms of uh, the, the, the real economy, in terms of even in terms of jobs at some point. And so I think that's that's really that can be a problem, especially in a situation where consumers have lost a lot a lot of purchasing power. They no longer have excess savings uh, from the pandemic, and therefore they, they're going to be hit in addition by the increase in interest rates. Uh, so I mean that's clear. That uh, and in addition, I may say that uh, even from the point of view of inflation, uh, taking into account the fact that. Uh, In fact, markets uh, have uh, have reacted by, you know, uh, depreciating the euro. So the euro is falling, uh, the, the value of the euro is falling vis-à-vis -vis the dollar. Uh, if you look at the last uh, two months, the depreciation has been around 5%. And in part, this could be due uh, to a perception by markets that uh, the ECB may be entering, the, the, the eurozone may be entering a recession. And therefore, they may prefer to move towards uh, the dollar-denominated uh, assets. And so, in fact, it can be counterproductive, this latest move, even from the point of view of the inflation tar target itself. So, Raymond, in, in light of this economic context that you described very well, there seems to be considerable uncertainty regarding the direction of fiscal policy and the need to address high debt levels. So, what could be a realistic fiscal scenario for the European Union? 
I think a realistic fiscal scenario has to be one that takes into account both the need to contain debt levels. I mean, this is perfectly understandable and it is reasonable. Uh, but also the need to uh, address two issues. One is uh, to compensate vulnerable groups, especially in the face of the risk of a, a recession, which is looming on the horizon after the, the latest move on interest rates. Uh, and also higher oil prices, which uh, you know we shouldn't forget that uh, over the past two months, oil prices have increased by some something like fifteen percent, which is going, of course, to have a certain impact on the uh, budget, uh, on family budget, uh, especially for vulnerable groups, which already have exhausted their excess savings coming from uh, the the legacy of the pandemic. So this is one of the considerations compensating the vulnerable groups, and on the other hand. Fiscal policy also should accommodate the need for investing in the green transition, the energy transition, and investing also in uh, digital technology, taking into account that, that uh, as, as von der Leyen said recently uh, in the State of the Union speech, that uh, Europe has to be competitive vis-à-vis -vis the US and China in uh, this technological revolution that we are facing. How to deal with both these considerations, on the one hand, the fiscal position, but on the other hand, uh, the, 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 the needs of uh, compensating losers and also investing in the future, I think uh, the answer has to come from budget rules, fiscal rules, which are much more flexible than was the case before the pandemic. And here, the, uh, uh, I think the, the Commission proposal is important, is relevant to make uh, fiscal rules much more dependent on the situation of each country in order not to add an excessively contractionary uh, fiscal policy, which would add to the what we see already in terms of monetary policy from higher interest rates. Uh, Raymond, the third question I have for you, it's related to something you mentioned before. You talked about energy, and energy was dominating the agenda for the last political course. And of course, it's going gonna, it's gonna to stay on the agenda for, for the months to come. So I we just saw that the Energy Information Administration is predicting a turn in energy demand, consistent with the need to fight climate change, echoing a recent G20 summit. Um, what are the prerequisites for this to happen in Europe? Yes, the International Energy Agency made, a, in a way, a bit of a surprising uh, presentation coming from a study. Uh, which is that already the, over, the, over the next 10 years we will reach the peak of demand from, for fossil energy. And I think that's important and it's, I think it is useful for, for Europe in and of itself. But I think it's fair to say that this will not happen automatically, nor will it happen painlessly. I mean, we need to, uh, Europe needs to prepare for that. It needs to accelerate this transition, this, this energy transition. Uh, this, this requires, I think, three ingredients. One is investment, investment in new forms of energy and technology that accompanies this change. And I think this can be quite significant. And I don't see how this can happen only from countries in and of themselves. Probably Europe will have to um, you know, define uh, a new program, uh, a pan-European program for this energy transition which will transcend the, the, the possibilities of each of the country. The second ingredient has to come from uh, green taxation. It's very important that uh, all the actors, in particular private sector actors, have uh, very clear incentives 
to invest in this transition. And for that, taxation, green taxes are very important and it has to be predictable. Realistic, of course, because if it's too high in a way, especially in the beginning, it, it may hurt growth already, uh, uh, which is very weak economic growth. So it has to be realistic, but uh, with, uh, uh, I think, a predictability so that uh, you know the, the, the incentives are, are maintained for the private sector. The third ingredient has to be uh, keeping an eye on uh, vulnerable groups and jobs, and in particular on jobs, because if people perceive that jobs will be lost in this transition, there may be resistance and social resistance to the transition itself. And I think one case in point is the automobile industry. Uh, we see, for example, that, uh, of course, uh, we need uh, electric cars, but if electric cars uh, come from, uh, you know, China and according to the Commission, uh, this uh, production of cars in China is, you know, is, is benefiting from some sort of subsidy, implicit or explicit, then this may mean that uh, automobile industries in, in, in Europe are facing unfair competition and jobs may be at risk. So it's very important that, uh, you know, uh, enough attention is paid to uh, protecting activity in Europe in a way which also maintains competition, but yet takes into account the need for the European industry and the European economy to remain competitive in this transition as well. So many aspects you, you need to take into account to get the green energy transition right. Um, all right, Raymond. Indeed, and indeed, indeed, and this can only happen if we, we re, maybe it needs to be redefined, but I think it's, it's important that uh, Europe continues to play the multilateral role, but with rules which are redefined, uh, they, they are fair and uh, make it possible for, for the European uh, industry to, to remain competitive in this scenario. Raymond Torres, Funcas Europe Director, it was great talking to you again. Thank you very much for the discussion, Carlos. Thank you all for joining. This was all for now. We will come back soon with more exciting speakers on Europe's economic and policy-related key debates. Future is Blue is a Funcas Europe initiative. I'm Carlos Carnicero Ravallen, and if you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to recommend it to others and share it on social media. Thank you all and stay well.